Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Friday Roundtable Show. Every Friday at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time, we have a roundtable and we normally have an interesting conversation about this week's WordPress topics that we've found or stuff that we've found on the internet that evolves technology. And we've got a great panel, um, probably have hopefully some people joining us during the show, but I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves. And firstly, let's start with Chris. Would you like to introduce yourself, Chris? Sure. I'm Chris from Lifter LMS, which is a WordPress solution for creating, selling, and protecting online courses. I also have a podcast for course creators called LMSCast. That's great. Uh, Morton, would you like to introduce yourself to the viewers and listeners? Hello, I'm Morton. I'm a senior in, uh, senior uh, <laughs> senior citizen. <laughs> my brain has stopped working today. It's horrible. I'm in the middle of recording a course. My brain is in somewhere else. I'm a senior staff instructor with uh, LinkedIn Learning and Lynda.com. And I'm in the middle of recording a course, so my brain has stopped working. And I repeat myself. Yeah, my, mine stopped a long time ago as well. Um, John, uh, would you like to introduce yourself quickly? Yep, my name is John Locke. Um, and I do SEO for manufacturing and industrial companies. Certainly do. Um, and I'm the founder of MailRight. Not MailRight, sorry. WP Tonic, we're a um, support company for WordPress with an emphasis on learning management systems, membership. If you're into that thing and you're looking for a trusty partner, WP Tonic should be the tonic. And um, before we go into the show, I just want to talk about one of our sponsors, and that's Kinsta Hosting. And um, we use Kinsta Hosting ourselves, the WP Tonic website, and for uh, a number of our client websites. And we find them fantastic. Got all the bells and whistles, staging site, analytical data, up-to-date technologies, um, PHP 7.2 if you want it, everything. And they're big enough to have all the resources, but still small enough to really care. And I can't recommend them more than that and if you're interested go to the wp tonic website there's banners links to tonic to kinster they are affiliate links and you'll be helping the show if you sign up for a plan um, yourself or for one of your clients and i can guarantee you're going to be really happy with that decision into the show folks um first first story um um, to free up resources, WordPress org plugin review team begins closing unused plugins. Any, who wants to start with that? Death is a part of life. <laughs> Sounds reasonable. Moving on. <laughs> oh, come on, please. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Listen to what you just said. Stops <laughs> close <laughs> unused plugins. It's like, here's the thing no one uses. We're going to take it away. Instant outrage. Seriously? Of course. That actually makes sense. They take up space and clutter and make it harder for people to find what they actually want. There's no yeah, point in having a list of items where it's like, oh, no one uses this. Thanks. Right. And I will also not use this. Yeah, but there are some plug... Uh, it wasn't clear in the um, article on the tavern. There are some plugins that perfectly work. Um, and they don't need constant updating they just kind of work and you know isn't unused the oh yeah i suppose you got yeah i suppose i'm having a brain fart and it's unused isn't it well i didn't read the articles i'm just commenting something i didn't maybe i should read it hold on give me one hour and then i'll come back and talk about it's a very short article actually uh but plugin is one that has been approved for the directory but no code was uploaded by the developer in six months or more this is a terrible idea i retract everything i just said ignore all the previous statements i just said this is (laughs) (laughs) for all the reasons you mentioned plus a million more go then tell us that then well it's 
if okay, so if unused as as this test, you want to be look. Let's face it, Morton. You want to be back in Hawaii, don't you? This yeah. Is, okay. This so so if unused is what it says in the in the title article, which is not that unused means people are not using it, then there's no reason to fa- for having the plugin in the plugin directory. However, if unused means that no one has updated the plugin for more than six in the last six months, that's not a good stat for any kind of. Uh, stability or anything else, there's a ton of plugins that are, have not been updated in the last six months, including things like uh, the developer plugin from Automatic, which is just a shell that lets you install other plugins. I don't think that's been updated for the last two or three years um, and a bunch of other things. That said, I'm assuming that the people who are going to knock these plugins off will also be monitoring and probably just knocking off the ones that haven't been updated for the last 10 years or something like that. Yes, I hope so. What do you reckon, Chris? Uh, I think hasn't been updated in X number of years is not necessarily a bad thing. And, but it is an issue in the space as well as uh, plugins that aren't useful. And then as well as plugins that aren't supported where there's no active support. So there's those three, those I think are the three main challenges of the repo and uh, cleanup is important and decision fatigue is tough when people go in and, and there's two, too many options. So I think it absolutely makes sense to clear it out. They just, it, it's, it needs to be an all or nothing type of thing though. They need to really commit to that plan or, and not just, otherwise it'll be like, some people might get upset or whatever, but I think overall it's just a good idea. Yeah. What do you reckon, John? Oh, I, I, well, there's two things that stood out. Uh, one, and, and these are both in the comment section, I believe. Uh, one was saying that a lot of people use the plugin review team as basically a free security inspection and, and that rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, and then the other thing was uh, somebody was making an argument. I think it was for one of these uh, thumbnail regeneration things. They're saying it still works. So never touch a running system. So, yeah. But I mean, as a user, I like, if I see like hasn't been updated in five years, I'm not touching that. So there yeah, you go. That, that, yeah, that's a bit too far, isn't it? That's a bridge too far, isn't it, John? Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. But yeah, I suppose really the detail will be, the detail will be in the detail in a way. It depends how they devils um, in the details. Oh, so, yeah. The, sorry, yeah, I'm a, yeah. devils <laughs> in the detail, isn't it? Uh, um, I suppose it really just depends on how they actually do this, doesn't it? If it's done in a really heavy way. Just kick them all out and start from scratch. Let's kick them all out. That's what I'm saying. Let's kick them out. All right. Gotta kick out the jams. Well, we discussed this before, and I can say... Yeah. (laughs) The reason why I put it as number one is there's been ongoing changes from the themes to the plugins. They're really showing you know, strain here a little bit about how to deal with all this. And I, but like I said in previous shows, I'm not going to repeat it, but like I said in previous shows, I just don't think they're dealing with the fundamental problem, which is a much bigger problem about how the theme and the plugin dispositories and that actually directories, whatever you want to go, actually work Um because that I think these are just signs that the fundamental structure of it doesn't work in a way. But on the other hand, it, it did work because it helped build WordPress to what it is. So there's a bit of a contradiction. But that's life, isn't it? On to the contradiction. It did work. Now it's now WordPress is too big. We need to scale appropriately for maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. I thought I was waffling there. No, but I wasn't, was I? No. Right, on to the next story. Because I don't want to bore the panel. I think they were getting a little bit tedious with that one. So on to the next. All right, um, it's like a play field, folks. I can tell by their faces when they're getting bored. So on to the next one. Our, um, Google Selfish Ledger is upsetting vision of Silicon Valley's social engineering. And before, before I throw this to the panel, I just want to say, I watched the video and it's, um, I don't think he's working directly for Google now. I, I did a quick search on his name and he's working for a kind of sub company. I think Google um, owns a bit of it or whatever. Um, it's by geezer called Nick Foster. And it, I just want to give a quick description to the listeners, viewers. Um, um, they made this, Nick, in all, um, made this video and it's a 
technically, I'm very impressed with the video. Uh, um, the actual ideas in it, Nick, are just freaking shit, mate. Uh, um, you know, um, whatever, whatever. Tell us how you really feel. Whatever freaking stuff you're taking, Nick, and if any of your Google people were sharing it, can I have some of it? Because I don't know what, you know, it was one of the most creepiest bits of crap I've, I've watched in the wrong world, Nick. Um, on to, um, what did you think, Morton? <laughs> so, ignore this video for a second. Can you? Um, no, no, just ignore this video for a second. So, what we do when we design things and develop things and mess around with uh, interfaces and interaction design and everything else is try to model people's behavior so that they do the things we want. I mean, our friend down here in the left-hand corner of my screen, who's named after a famous philosopher, his job is to figure out how to mess with search engines so that the search engines display information in front of the right people at the right time so they are swayed into purchasing manufacturing products from one company as opposed to another. Our entire industry is built on the foundation of manipulating people into doing what we want. I mean, all these articles and WordCamp talks and everything that we talk about how to like, you know, uh, what is it called? When you're um, uh, converting visitors into clients, like all that shit, literal manipulation of human beings. This is not something that Google has suddenly started doing. This is something our entire industry does as default. The industry is based on actual using science to manipulate the behavior of people at every level. So if we're going to criticize this, we need to criticize ourselves too, because this is what we do, right? You put this video onto Facebook because you know that Facebook will actively promote this video to all your friends. You don't put it on Facebook because Facebook is a good place to host video, right? So um, if we're going to be critical about this, we need to be critical about the entire infrastructure that makes this possible. I don't now, really, I don't, I'm sorry. When you, when I'm you sorry, I don't, I'm not going to interrupt slightly. I don't really follow that really because- You what? don't? No, because that's sad. Because <laughs> well, it's sad, true. A sad person. So it's there we are. True. Like, this is this is this is not like something I'm making up. This is a, just a, a provable fact. We read, we create um, interfaces and designs, and uh, we structure our data specifically to get people to do what we want. That's the entire purpose of any kind of marketing on the internet, any kind of sales on the internet, any kind of sales in general, but much more on the internet than anywhere else. I mean, we're skewing our entire behaviors towards fitting the platforms that manipulate people the best. So I'm just setting the stage for this conversation. So this video specifically is an interesting idea because all these big companies make these videos every once in a while where they, where they try to package what they are thinking about into um, uh, 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 something that is easy to understand. Not necessarily to say, this is what we are going to do, but to say, this is something we need to think about. And, and when you watch this video, you can think about it in two ways. Either it's a video that showcases Google's intent, or it's a video showcasing what Google engineers think might happen if we go in a certain direction, right? It's the same as that um, the Biz article that was, shipped, that was uh, released a couple of uh, months ago where they were talking about how Facebook or was it, no, Twitter or Facebook, I forget, which one of them was saying that um, uh, our goal is to actually change the way people, people behave. I think it was Facebook. And, and it's exactly the same thing, right? So all these big companies, they constantly grapple with this notion that what they're trying to do is basically try to get people to do certain things and then ask questions, can we then use this power to guide people in a certain direction? And that's where it gets super disturbing. Because they're openly admitting that what they're doing is manipulating people's behavior. And then they say, what if we do this for good? And then you have to ask, who decides what's good? Do you decide what's good? Because you're a big-ass corporation that earns money. So good to you would be defined as anything that furthers your particular interests in politics, in socioeconomic situations, in cash, in everything else. And that's where everything falls apart. I'm interested in one but, Google. What's important, what of crap. what's important about this is this is another instance of one of these big corporations openly admitting that what they are doing 
is manipulating people's behavior. And yeah, this is another opportunity. That, it? you know, well, it's, it's an opportunity for us. Genetic genome of the world population. Welcome to CNN, debate show number 85, where people scream at each other. <laughs> the, the, the important part about this, apart from like, you know, we can see the insides of how Google thinks about this stuff, is it once again shines a light on our industry and our industry's need for proper ethics. Because we do things that if in a, like in a research situation, the things we do online would never be allowed. We do things constantly that you would never get approval for. A lot of the things that we do as experiments or the content that we ship in our websites, if you did it in a research setting, you would lose your funding and probably get fired from whatever university you were working at. You would lose your PhD over it. So we need to start thinking carefully about how we're actually impacting the people we work with. Like that Google duplex thing that, was, that you talked about last week. If you tried to get that past an ethics board at a university, they'd be like, oh, it's too bad. You don't want to be at this university anymore and no other university ever. And you don't really do want to do research. That's fine. We're just going to put you on this list of crazy people who should never be allowed to do research anymore. Right? Uh, uh, but since we're in tech, we are allowed to do this? No, 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 no. This just shines a light on an on an industry-wide huge problem. And if we pretend that we're not part of this problem, we're just pulling the wool over our own ears and running around and hurting people. Yeah, there's the some end. bits, right. There's some bits I agree with what you've just said, but there's some bits I fundamentally disagree with. But I want to go to Chris first because I think the listeners are interested in the panel role. And I'll, then I'll come back with my little bit, my spiel. So, Chris... What do you reckon? You reckon Google really jumped the shark in a big way? What do you What do you reckon? No, going I'm on? not. I'm not surprised. First of all, I just want to say that uh, I think one of the trends that this article highlights is this is somewhat unrelated, but high production value content. That was a very nice piece of content to engage with. I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. Shame the message was pretty ugly, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, and I, more just. Made all the great points. That was the creepy bit. The message was really not very attractive (laughs) at all. The boys and nice graphics, wasn't it? Martin's call for ethics and tech is is definitely spot on, and everybody should check out his recent article on that. But on another note, I do find the value of learning from nature and things like epigenetics. And, uh, you know, there's a whole science called biomimicry where we develop technology based on processes that are happening in natural systems. And if you really think about it, uh, there's a big case uh, for the human microbiome. The, all the bacteria the, and creepy crawlies inside of us are actually running the show. Like, if you think about it, they're like, we're just the host. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we move around, we feed them, you know, we spread them. Uh, so this is not a new idea, and I just find that interesting. And I've, I've actually done a lot of studying of genetics myself when I look at kind of designing like learning software uh, and how like genes are transmitted. I totally get it, and I understand where they're coming from. And I think it's really important for an organization to have a skunk works type thing where they're kind of pushing the boundaries. There does need to be an ethics person on the team, though. And... I also just want to highlight that, you know, if they're just directionally showing what they're interested in, I think science fiction is a great way to explore possibilities. But let's do the full story and see uh, see if the Cylons end up taking over and maybe we shouldn't go down that path. And uh, uh, just think about it, what, is the, what are the odds that this path might contribute towards a dystopia or an extinction of the human race? I don't know. But uh, I just think science fiction is cool. And I understand why they're going that way. And I think it has potential. But it definitely, we need more ethics. It's got potential, right? (laughs) Uh, right, Before I put it over to John, I just want to quickly um, put a couple of thoughts. Um, Basically, um, Facebook has got a lot of criticism lately. I think Facebook are more honest. All that Facebook care is making loads of money. They, that's, all, that's all they care about. Uh, um, this Google thing is, um, it was touched upon in some interviews of, uh, about some people that really know some of the core people in Google. And they, they, they wanted to see that they came from academia. They came from Stanford. That, that they 
they they're cut above Facebook or people like that, you know. Um, but what they really are is a glorified marketing company, you know, that has been allowed to, you know, become a kind of quasar monopoly, really. Uh, um, that makes bag tons of money. But they want to see themselves as a cut above that. They want to see them back in Stanford as researchers, not as money Grammy marketers, which they are. Uh, um, that's the problem. It's like hubris, the worst kind of hubris. And what I really find really concerning, and I think it's because I'm a European, a bit like Morton, you know, we come, because I've been to Auschwitz. So um, I've actually been there. I've actually seen where this kind of crap leads to. Uh, um, because, and if you've ever read anything about the East German Security Service, the Stasi, and how they, you know, what Google, the naivety and the stupidity just shows you that you can get really, really very clever people in one area and they can be the most dumbass idiots in another. And, you know, you know, I can think of no system that the Stasi would have loved to have had than what Google is suggesting. You know, um, the, the, the utter naivety of this video and the ideas expressed in it is amazing. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, definitely. So to catch the listeners up on what this uh, was... The Selfish Ledger, this is a nine-minute video that was made by Google X, which is kind of like their uh, big ideas division. And the setup is, is they talk about Lamarckian uh, epigenetics. And Jean-Baptiste uh, Lamarck was a predecessor of Charles Darwin. And one of the theories that he had was uh, that when you're talking about um, – passing genetics like on from generation to de generation. Uh, the genetics, it, it wasn't so much about the species, but it was the gene did what was best for the gene uh, instead of just the species. But another idea that was uh, put forward here is that the experiences uh, that you go through are passed down to the descendants as well. It's not just your genetic code. So those things that you go through are also passed down. So taking that idea, Google uh, talks about this thing called a ledger, which uh, in this case is all the data that is collected by your phone and I'm assuming like all the rest of your devices because let's face it, in 10 short years, every human on earth uh, is got a, a phone that's collecting data and we can't think of it. We think of like phones as like an in, indispensable object we have to have. Um, and you even hear, you know, some marketers like Gary Vee talks about, you know, in 10 years, it's going to be like Cybertron where we, uh, the phones are like connected, like into our bodies and we're cyborgs. Uh, so the, the, the whole idea, then, then they take it like the next step. Uh, in this video, and basically, if you've ever seen that like movie, her, uh, imagine like your OS is not like your virtual girlfriend, but now it's basically like telling you what to do, and it shows a guy holding a phone, and it's like, help me to either eat more healthily, protect the environment, or support local businesses, and then you tap that, and then from that moment forward, like all the things that they suggest to you are toward that mission. So whatever you choose, it's basically like feeding you that way. So on this level, it's really like behavior modification. Uh, and then they're taking it a step further saying like that ledger is like the gene that Lamarck talked about. And your experiences that are, you know, basically all your data collection that's in your phone should be passed down to future generations for the betterment of the, you know, the ledger or the society for future humans. So what this basically is, is long-term behavior modification of the human race based on like data that's collected through phones. So as, as you can see, 
you know, the, the, the behavior manipulation that is uh, through social media and through, you know, advertising and all these different means becomes exponentially uh, more, you know, critical if, if an idea like this, like, comes to pass because now your phones are basically guiding you to, like, down a path, you know. So that's, that's basically the video in a nutshell. So one important part of this is you have to realize this already happens. The difference is yeah. right now it's being guided solely by the interests of the corporations that run it. So what they are, I think this video, which is from a couple of years ago, what this video is trying to suggest, because if you, if, you, if you look at what this video is and where it came from and everything, it's an internal video that was meant, to, that was shared inside of Google, most likely to get people to start talking about these things. Uh, one, of the th- one of the important aspects that this video brings up is this concept of we are already doing this in a very uh, wishy-washy kind of laissez-faire way where we're just focusing on like how do we get people to our platform and how do we, once we have them at our platform, get them to do things that earn us money. And then they say, what if we had some of that control over to the user and say that, hey, well, you can use the same technology we're using to earn money to somehow further a goal. And then can we do that on a user level? How do we specify how that works? And then can we do it at a global level to actually skew people's behavior in a certain direction? Now, um, it's, it's interesting because this video is from 2016. Now in 2018, everyone is talking about how social media basically skews people's political beliefs and led to a bunch of interesting things happening in US politics and in politics in other countries as well. This is Google admitting that that happens and saying that, hey, we have this power and we need to do something about it, which contrasts to Facebook, who explicitly says they don't do this, which is bullshit, but whatever. They keep saying that this is not possible, that they don't do this. So uh, it's, it's an important piece of a larger conversation. Problem is we're not having that conversation because if we have that conversation, all of us also need to admit that we're doing this as well, right? So this comes down to, is every single person who works on the web and every single person who makes tools on the web and shares information on the web going to start looking inwards and saying, what am I doing to the people that I'm uh, sharing this information to? Unless we do that, we can't really criticize the larger companies who just do the same thing. So we need like um, reckoning in the entire industry to refocus our efforts and try to think carefully about what we're doing. Because we basically collectively built a machine that manipulates society. And we've let that machine run free and do whatever it wants. So this uh, genetic machine has just developed a system of advertising and uh, clickbait content and everything that just then generates behavior that feeds the machine, right? So we've made a little pretty hate machine. Now we need to figure out how to make that pretty hate machine do good things. I don't think this thing that Google came up with is the solution. I think it's the first part of a larger conversation. Like Chris said, this is science fiction telling you where the path leads if we don't intervene. Mm. All right, we have to continue this discussion at some stage because, um, yeah, well, I just, I just don't agree with some of the things you said there, really. Uh, um, but um, we're going to go for our break, folks. When we come back, we've got some other great stories. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. I better go at Google, my favorite company in the USA. Got it. I'm finished. Then I, God knows what they're going to do with my genetics. God, <laughs> scrabble them and fry them, bubbly. Uh, um, right, on to the next story. Uh, um, um, an interview on This Week in Startups, the Brave Browser founder, Brendan, how do you pronounce it? H? H? Ike. Uh, Ike. <coughs> Ike. Brendan Ike. Thank you, panel. Um, 
Um, basically, he, um, he was in the early days of uh, of um, browser the browser wars. Um, he started this company called Brave, and they got their own browser, and it's really really fantastic. I've been using it for a while. I use it on sites that normally you cannot use because it's got so many banners, tracking pixels that it slows your whole. Um, and it just removes all that crap. And the other interesting bit is they've got a payment um, using cryptocurrency. And they had, they, I think they published their own cryptocurrency and they gave, given it to so many people. And you can pay publishers with this. It's, um, it's got some interesting aspects to the interview and what Brave is up to. Anybody want to jump in and start off the conversation about this? I'll just say that uh, <clears throat> to tie it into the last uh, article uh, that we discussed, um, you're trying to turn off pop-ups and annoying advertising. So if the ledger is so good that like, you know, it actually changes your behavior, that it's like, what marketing do we want? And maybe <laughs> it's almost like uh, if it gets more effective, is that a bad thing? Uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. It, there's, it's definitely an interesting angle because people are really do get annoyed at pop-ups and stuff if they're not relevant. But what if they are relevant and are in the direction of what your desires and pains are? Relevancy is, is uh, you know, advertising isn't bad when it's relevant and wanted. So, but I think it is cool. I hear a lot of people just, a lot of people just give up on a, uh, on an advertising medium entirely. Like I don't read the paper anymore. I don't read magazines anymore. I just say I, I use brave to not display um, advertising or I have this ad blocker. I just give up or I don't watch the news anymore. It's just interesting to watch it, how we evolve in that way, but definitely having a, an advertising free experience. There's a time and a place for that. Well, it's like, a, like I go to some UK website, um, newspaper websites one, the Daily Mail. I'm ashamed to say that I do go to it. They've got a very good science section, actually. Uh, um, No, no. No, no, they have the financial science sections are quite good. It's just the main part of it that's crap. Uh, um, I read New York Daily Post for political information. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Daily Mail. Right, the Daily Mail. And it's unusable because... You know they are the they are the cockroaches which they are. You know, uh, so it's unusable their website. Those, but using Brave, it, it's a nice experience. What do you reckon, Morton? Well, uh, was, sorry, Brave is a great idea. I mean, it, just for the fact that there's a new browser in the market that's thinking differently is interesting because right now we're stuck with four, right? So, well, four plus half. So we have Edge, which is the core browser and Windows. We have uh, Safari, which is a core browser and Mac. Mac. And then we have Chrome and Firefox who keep competing about who is the best browser. And then we have Opera on the side, which is actually very good, but no one uses. Um, Brave is kind of, might actually become the fifth leg on that monster um, and might have influence mainly because of who's backing Brave because it's Brendan Eich and all these other people. So it's not um, it comes from the web standards community. It doesn't come from a big corporation. Uh, as for what Brave is doing, blocking ads and uh, incorporating crypto and all this stuff, so some of it, I mean, I think this ad blocking thing is going to become something that is in all browsers by default. It's only a matter of time. So uh, they're just ahead of the game and they're pushing a bit. Um, I think... Uh, trying to think of new models for monetizing content on the internet is very important. Um, And something along the lines of uh, paying for the content you actually look at is going to be the new model. But the way that we're currently doing it, irrespective of browsers, where you go and pay individual publishers, it just becomes unmanageable because there's so many different publishers in so many different markets. Um, So some sort of incorporated system that handles everything will work but it will only work if it goes across all browsers. And that's the key here. Like, this is just another step on the browser wars where you get a solution that's baked into one browser. It will then be, uh, you use this browser to do everything or you have to like, kind of bail on everything, right? So 
unless we fight, figure out a system that either is or can be adopted by all the browsers, so you get a cohesive experience across the different spaces you're in, none of this will actually work long term. And it won't be as transform transformative as we want it to be. Um, so we, it remains to be seen. But you know, if you're a web developer and you're currently developing websites, you need to have Brave installed so you can test your sites on Brave as well. It's just from a purely technical perspective. This is now a thing people use, so you need to use it as well. Yeah, thanks for that. I think you're spot on there. Um, it's, but it was interesting. It's just, it's really ambitious. And, they, and then they got this fundamental payment problem that led to this idea of free, which in no way is free. Um, the, and because of the, who he is and the backers, it, he's got some real credibility, hasn't he? Um, but is it this payment, what they're trying to do. But like you say, it can't really work really just in one browser. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, I think it's uh, the way of the future. I think um, as, as, you know, and, and, you know, our friends over at 10Up, I mean, they deal with this all the time because, you know, uh, a lot of the, the, the people that they solve problems for are, are media. And I, I think there's a lot of issues, you know, with just ads and pop-ups and interstitials and, and stuff like that as a monetization model. I think eventually all browsers are going to, you know, block ads. People really, you know, categorically don't um, click on them anyway. So, I, you know, I think this is the first of like many uh, innovations that will eventually sweep across all browsers. Um, but I think it's forcing a lot of businesses to, you know, maybe rethink uh, monetization models. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm not against advertising. Some people, I, I, I think we're all different. And I think some people about, it's like when they get an email um, out and they can't remember what they subscribe and they get angry. You're not just got to unsubscribe at the bottom and you just can undescribe it and that's the end of it. It doesn't bother me. And it's the same with advertising. It's, it's how much, you know, because there's some websites that you go to that are just unusable on mobile or even on a desktop. They are totally, is there nobody in these organizations doing any testing and saying, I think we've overdone it a bit here, guys, you know, because the website is, it's unusable. Well, they, just read, they just read all the marketing blogs and they say, you need to use this pop-up and this like blocker and this thing and yep. this thing. And then they just put all of it in because they want to see what sticks, right? So they want to throw everything at it to earn money <laughs> and then everything falls apart. You know, they're unusable. You know, the, I won't name them, but there's a whole, and there's, they're normally big websites in in media and they, they, they are totally totally unusable uh and i just i just I, but it's, it's like it it's a bit i'm not going to go back to google really but it's a is there nobody in a large organization because they're not stupid i can't stand a small group of really people that are blind to the obvious but there must, is there nobody in any adults in charge and say you know publishing a video and i know it's only a, a little a little two years ago and it's only a little kind of view into google but if that's the kind of crap they're talking about on a consistent basis is a little bit well all right i'm, I'm offering on to the next story uh, um, <laughs> uh the do's and don'ts for hosting wordpress membership sites and i should have put this after the, the google really should i uh um, this is from Kingston, one of my one of my um, um, people that support the show. But it's um, it's um, one of their great articles again, and um, I thought it was really good because it kind of really spotlights. You know, obviously they're promoting their marketing their services, <laughs> uh, um, but um, it had good information, and it was from uh, somebody that comes on the site <clears throat> on the show occasionally. And it's really, really um, well written. And it, do you, John, do you want to start off with this? What did you think of this article? Yeah, definitely. So, and, and as everybody on the panel knows, you know, membership sites have their own unique 
challenges. And a lot of the things that they're laying out here are just spelling out uh, for people who are getting into this. You know, you can't just use um, any old hosting or just, you know, $5 hosting here or there for membership sites because you have stuff that can't be cached. You have concurrent visitors. Uh, you might have a complex database queries and you're going to store a lot of data about all your different members and, you know, you maybe, you know, what classes are signed up to or what forums, you know, they've, they're talking in. So, you know, it just lays out the case for focusing on uh, getting a host that has those things in mind and is, you know, uh, built for for performance and not how many sites they can squash into one server. So, and, then, and there's specific requirements for a membership or a learning management system. You're going to get multiple requests, aren't you, at the same time. Um, and there, there are specific issues that are in some ways similar to um, e-commerce or, Woo, you know, if you're using WooCommerce, isn't it, John? Oh yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another, uh, case where there's a lot of database tables. There's a lot of database queries. You might have a lot of concurrent customers. And so, you know, that has its own unique challenges too. And again, you're not going to want like the $7 a month host because it's just going to drag. So, you know, spending on something like Kinsta, uh, which is built on top of Google Cloud and offers like all these different add-ons like Redis, like Elasticsearch. That's going to be in your best interest. So, what do you reckon, Chris? Do you, Chris, do you have a few discussions? You know, with, when you get help tickets and they're on like a three dollar hosting plan, and what what do you say to them? We have thousands of those discussions because we have a uh, <laughs> a lot of that. Because you better bookmark these articles, send it to them, do you? I did actually, and just on the marketing front, when I saw that article for the, what I'm involved with, it was extremely relevant. I copied the URL, I took it over to my Facebook group, and recommended it instantly to three thousand people. That's marketing done right. You should have put my affiliate link as part of it, Chris. Please, you know, I'm a poor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was a great article and um there's just it's just part of the general hosting problem. There's so much room for innovation around web hosting still, even though managed WordPress exists or whatever. Do you think uh, so? Yes, because we have non-technical people, usually like teachers or entrepreneurs that aren't techies that, you know, want to do an online education business. They want to own the platform, so they go to WordPress. Uh but you know, I see people get hung up all the time on SSL certificates. You know, and funny, it, funny you say that, Chris, but I know a turnkey solution that can solve their problems, Chris. Yeah, you've got one. <laughs> you've got one. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. There's some content marketing done well, by the way. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the LMS, there's a couple metaphors when I'm teaching people about this problem is... Uh, when the website is the business, it's not just a brochure to like represent the business, but it actually is the business. You need to take it seriously. And it's more than just five or 10 web pages. It's got a lot going on. It's got users and, and reporting and all these database queries and everything. And the other thing is we have, there's so much marketing out there that the internet is easy. WordPress is easy. Plugins are easy hosting just get a web hosting account just buy a domain name and you're good and launch your business but the uh the reality is uh like building a like if you were to think in the offline world about building a school or a meetup uh you need to invest in it and you, you need to take it seriously and and let not all solutions are created equal um, but yeah, overall, I just want to say it was a great article. I am going to be recommending that article a, a lot because it really sums it up it, for a very specific type of website builder. Uh, I commend Kinsta for what they, for and the writer of that article. Well, Brian, Brian, he writes really good stuff. Um, just a busy guy, but he, you know, he really does write some good stuff and I thought it was excellent. What do you reckon, Moulton? You know, I think this whole thing, you know, you can get your 
e-commerce or your membership site up on a free dollar hosting account. I just don't think it really pans out, does it? Well, I think this this article highlights a common problem with um, our community in general, which is we've spent the past 10, 15 years telling people they should do build their websites on their own. And that simply isn't the case. You should not build your website on your own. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. Let me rephrase that. If you're going to build like a simple blog where you're going to share some story or something else, it's fine. But if you're going to build a membership site or any kind of complex e-commerce solution or anything else, you really need to offload that work onto something who know, someone who knows what they're doing. Just like if you need to install a new faucet in your house, you might want to hire a plumber to do it so you don't get leaks everywhere later uh, because there are all these little intricacies about how you put in hammers inside the uh, water table so it doesn't automatically run backwards and you make sure that everything is... Has is, the this right experience? is this experience? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, have, <laughs> I have a friend who uh, bought a house where someone had installed the kitchen sink incorrectly. So all the plumbing is wrong and they have this massive leak and it's caused not by any of the equipment being broken by that but by the equipment being installed incorrectly. And the water leak only showed itself five years later, right? So when you build any kind of complex website, you need to hire someone who knows what they're doing for two reasons. One is it's much harder than it looks. Yes, you can install all the plugins yourself. That, that is like the shiny veneer on top of an enormous amount of things you need to do. More importantly, if you're running a membership website, you have some sort of business model in mind. You want to share information or you want to create a community or you want to sell a product or something like that. That is your job. Hire someone else to do the job of building the thing and getting it to work properly. And then you focus on writing the articles and getting the people in and getting the information out there instead. It's worth it. Was it Brian Richards who said he pays someone $75 a month or a year or something like that to cut his lawn? Because he, the time he would have spent cutting the lawn, he earns more money spending that time doing his job instead. Think about it like that. Yeah, it's also, uh, and I think, I think you've got a lot of things to consider if you really want, if you really want this membership site, or you know, and a learning management system is part of a membership site. If you really, really want this to, to be successful. I think you've got some bigger fish to bring about. Yeah, what, what plugins are you going to install and how are you going to kind of, unless, unless you're totally broke um, and then you, you've got to do the best you can. But I think setting up any business without any budget, it's going to be a really difficult. It's, and I, I just want to add, because I've seen it over and over again, the number one objection to this argument is, uh, well, I'm trying to validate and, and stuff, so I'm trying to do it as cheap as possible. But what I see happening nine times out of 10 is uh, when it's time to move it later, they say, gosh, I should. And, and there's all these problems with like email and sites down, all this stuff when they're doing the migration to a, a better host or a better, better plan or whatever. They're, um, you know, they're, they're like, gosh, I should have started here. And they just waste so much time. So if you're thinking... It, it, it's better to like spend thirty, forty, fifty, hundred dollars a month on hosting and and you know focus on your marketing and get your course and your membership launched and get some sales going in. For a lot of people, just one sale covers the cost of the hosting. So just think of it that way. Yep. And I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with everything that Chris said because I do a lot of these migrations and email migrations and and all these different things. It's so much easier and so much more painless to just set it up right from. The get and think about it. You know, you don't want to spend more on Starbucks per month than you do the hosting for your actual business. Yep. yep. And I'm just going to throw a pro tip out there: put your email on Google Apps on Gmail. Don't yep. put it on a hosting account. That's another. But there's a, you know, either you can use something like Saint, but the email side, especially when it comes to membership. Um, That's another <coughs> one. The the website sending email. Well, this is the biggest really because that that's that just will not well that will that will cause you to send a load of support tickets to member press to Chris's crew to everybody and they they can't stand them because <laughs> do not use your hosting provider email. It just does not work with a membership site. It will not work. <clears throat> I'm going to throw out like just a couple sentences here too. And it, and it ties together something that Morton said and something that Chris said. 
We've told people that WordPress is easy and you could do it yourself, but you really should not. If you have a limited budget, if you've only got like a hundred or two hundred dollars to start, what you should do is hire somebody to just sit down with you for an hour and just tell you what you should do. Because if you try and DIY this, you're going to end up with a hot mess and you don't want that. Can I be uh, extra Oh yeah, for a second? If you have $100 to start a business, you shouldn't start a business. You should go find yeah. a different job to work for someone else who's running a business in that market already. Build up the necessary funds to build a proper business. Because if it wasn't for WordPress, you would never consider doing this on your own. Running a business on the, online is like 90% not doing your job, but doing a bunch of tech work and outreach and marketing and all these other things, right? The majority of people who come to me and say that they want to start an online business or start an online agency or whatever are actually financially and health-wise, mental health-wise, better off going to work for someone else first and then building up the necessary know-how, the necessary funds, the necessary market to support a business. You would never just go and open a store down the street because you have t-shirts to sell. You would start uh, by selling them through do. someone else. And then once that market is big enough, you would open your own store, right? So it's the same thing online. If you're just starting out and you don't have the funds, it behooves you to not start from scratch because it won't get you where you want to go and it'll end up spending your your time and your frustration of trying to make it work. Well, I, I think, can I just add one more thing? Um, I call it the five hats problem. I talk about it a lot in this as an online course creator, membership site creator, you have to be an expert, a community builder, a teacher, a technologist, and an entrepreneur. That's, and very rarely does any one person have all those skills. So they either build a team or they outsource wearing the, the technology hat and putting that on. It's fun and you can feel it, you know, and it's, but it's your the clock is ticking, time is going by. You're learning the hard way, um, so just think about all the other things you have to do and where your blind spots are, and and you can outsource some of that tech. And where Jonathan can they find out about your turnkey thing? I'll go to the WP Tonic website. It's at the bottom in the footer area. Um, done a a joint promotion with Adam from WP Crafter and with Chris. And uh, I think it's a great offering and getting some interest in it. Um, we will see where it goes, but I'm for it. And um, yeah, thanks. But I think, the, I think the key thing you said, Chris, is community. Because I think when somebody's starting a membership site, their main is validation. Is there a need for their course, basically? Is there? And it's quite, it's not iffy. It's quite, as long as you offer you're straight with people and you offer maybe a good discount is offer some pre you know membership of the membership where they're going to get so you can um make sure that what you're offering there is a demand for your offering um and then the next biggest thing is you're gonna have to you should be doing this beforehand but you know um you've got to build community haven't you chris you've got to build fans that are going to talk about you and your course, don't you? Absolutely. You know, you should not be involved with what plug-in because you've got some bigger things to get on with. On to the next thing then. And I'll probably round it up with this this last one. Um, how to earn Google feature snippets for mobile. Large-scale study. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, definitely. So uh, this is what are, what are they, and why should you worry? Okay, so yeah, that's that's a good place to start. So featured snippets. If you've ever been in the, uh, like Googled for something, and sometimes you see like a big, you know, block quote like at the top before the usual, you know, ten results. Uh, that's what we call a featured snippet. Uh, there's there's different ones. Sometimes it's just like a pull quote out of a uh, uh, a web page. Sometimes it's got like an image there too. Sometimes it's a list of stuff. It could be like, you know, all kinds of different things. Uh, but basically it's, it's any time where it's, you know, just pulling something out of a page and putting it above the rest of the results. And so what this article was talking about, it's uh, they analyzed pages where they had multiple featured snippets for different searches, meaning that the, the pages were high quality enough 
uh, to where they, they different search terms were were creating like uh, these featured snippets. Uh, and this is something we call like position zero in Google as well sometimes. So a couple things that they found, like, um, high, you know, high quality sites, they've got all the, you know, things uh, in place such as, uh, you know, easy to read, well organized. Uh, they got HTTPS. Most of the time, I think 83% of the URLs were HTTPS. Uh, it's easy to scan, especially on mobile. You're breaking it up a lot with headers and subheaders. So there's like, it's, it's almost like outlined uh, with the H1, H2 and all that, like very clearly. And the reading level was the average of like seventh grade reading level, meaning they didn't use a, bit, a, lot, uh, a lot of big fancy words that are just meant to baffle and confuse you. There's just easy to understand. Uh, and break it up like into, you know, different um, sections. They said... I, I say that, I yeah. say that Chris must have a problem with that because Chris uses yeah. some words I don't even know, know about, but there we go. Yeah. Sorry, but Chris. The, but definitely, like, mobile experiences, one thing that they found, uh, the average Google mobile-friendly score was 95 out of 100. Uh, and a lot of them had, you know... Uh, the URL structure was very clear. They had uh, what some of you might know as like content siloing, meaning uh, they have the URL and then maybe like a, 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 a subcategory and then category and then the actual URL. But it wasn't like these big, long, like, you know, hard to understand URLs. It was just very clear. Like you could look at the URL, the web address, and understand exactly what you were going to find on that page. Uh, so a lot of these were how to, or, you know, the, the, the five W's and, you know, how, why, which, you know, where, when most of them had those sorts of questions. It's answering a question like, how do I, this, what is this, you know, when is this, most of them are like that. And th those are the sorts of things that Google's like pulling out and featuring. Uh, one thing that I found in my own personal experience, like two, it features snippets, is if you uh, make things like very clear, like if it's, if you have a list, then organize it in, you know, with the proper like UL, uh, LI, like markup, like you would mark up a list in just regular HTML, uh, make things like really super clear. Uh, and just, you know, look and see, too, what's, if you're trying to get, like, a snippet, look at what's above you. See if you can make your page simpler. If you're on page one, that was another thing that they found, too, is most of them are on page one, and especially in the top five positions, that's usually where they're pulling it from. So you're going to have to be on page one, at the very least, to, to get a rich snippet. Uh, not a rich snippet, but a featured snippet most of the time. So. And why is it important? Well, uh, you're above all the other, <laughs> you know, everything. You're basically like at the very top of the page. You know, people are either going to click on it or they're going to, you know, see it. It's it's bigger than all the rest of them. Um, so your brand name is right there as well, even if they don't click on it, even if they just read it and say, oh, I got the information that's more uh they're seeing your brand name but like i said it's at the very top of the page it's above everything else so uh people are going to be more likely to click it than they are to like keep scrolling down because they're very much like making it bigger the font is bigger uh, they're putting it in a box you know they're wanting you to look at it so definitely it's a cherished thing to get if you can get those for certain types of questions uh, and here's the thing too, it, here's how to tell if you have a quality page or a quality site. Uh, if you're getting like any type of featured snippet, then Google thinks you're a quality, uh, website and a quality page. If you're not getting them, then, you know, maybe Google doesn't, maybe something on your site needs to come up in quality, but the sites that are getting them, Google does see them as quality sites. So. Hey, John. Yes. So for the people watching who go, yes. hmm, I wonder if I have feature snippets on my site. 
Is there a way that they can go into some tool to find out if Google indexes this or do they have to make random searches on Google to see it? So uh, what I usually do, say, uh, you could probably set it up in something like SEMrush. I know I use like Ahrefs. And so if I was to drop like Morton.com or Pink and Yellow Media in there, uh, and then, you know, just, it'll give you like a bunch of suggested keywords that you're like ranking for. And I'll just drop those in. It'll show you like, it'll have like a little icon that says this result has a featured snippet. So, and I believe SEMrush is something similar too, but uh, I know a lot of the tools that you pay for like that will tell you, like if you set up a project against a a URL like that, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God, Google decides if you're quality or not. Oh, no, see, this is the interesting part, Jonathan. So so you were saying in the beginning of this episode, it's a very nice bookending thing. Yeah, so because you, I thought about this. So I actually put a lot of thought to this, actually. And Google is all about making money for itself. And unlike Facebook, who somehow in your mind is not so bad, Google is just pure evil. They're just, they're just what? criminals. They're just honest criminals. Like, so, you know, you know. so the, the, the key to this, is if you listen closely to what John said, he basically listed off good web design practices and web standards as requirements to get this done. And one of the things that's happening is, especially around Google, I'll explain why in a second. But one of the things that's happening is Google is now actively promoting content that follows good web standards practices, good web performance practices, good user experience practices by giving them higher ranking on Google, by loading their content faster and all this kind of stuff. Now, for a web standards geek like myself and for a, for a web educator, this is really good because it means that to get listed on Google and to get promoted on Google, you need to write good code. You need to build good websites that are responsive and mobile first and load quickly and everything. So in that respect, Google is actually forwarding web standards in a very real way. Now, this begs the question, why? And the why is actually really easy to figure out. It's because Google benefits from people writing better code. Because if you write better code, it's accessible. And the blind user you serve the most content to is Google's spiders who can't read your content. So Google has a direct benefit from you following web standards and writing better code. So they are now putting their money where their mouth is and saying, hey, we are actually going to tell people that they will benefit directly from us by following web standards. So even if they have some evil plan to, you know, siphon money out of the internet and like, pulling money in, the way they're going about it right now actually makes the web a better place. So, you know, it's, it's a really tricky situation. Well, I think like, we, screw I think, this. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> we, we lost one of our panelists, but I think he had uh, uh, another prior engagement. Oh, yeah, do. we're way over time. Yeah, so we better wrap this up. Wait, uh, wait. are we not going to talk about 3.0, no, 4.6.9 and GDPR and WordPress? Next week. Can you join us next week, do you think? No, no, no. This happens right now. This needs oh, God, to God. We can talk about it next week, but just so everyone knows who's watching this, your WordPress site got updated to 4.6.9. Um, the websites that I manage, my company managed, have not been updated. Oh, yet. you are a fool. You need to go update those yeah. right now. We, we are update. We are in the process of doing okay. it. So if you go onto the internet, you'll see a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt about this new update. And people are like, this should be a major update. It's not a minor update, blah, blah, blah. Or if you have a WordPress site, you may get all these flags on the back end now that say something about GDPR. And you may be like, what the hell happened? Why am I getting this stuff? What is happening is on May the 25th, I think, the general data protection regulation in Europe goes into effect. And that affects any website that any European at any time visits. So that means technically, if I visit your website, GDPR applies to you, even though I'm in Canada. So basically, any website that runs WordPress needs to have the proper GDPR uh, um, setups in place. Now, Heather Burns and a bunch of other people have been working for the past six months to get this into WordPress core. And this has been shipped like a minor release in WordPress specifically to get it auto-installed in WordPress sites all over the world. Because even though GDPR is something that happens only in Europe, it affects every single website on the internet unless you've sandboxed your website so that only people outside of Europe 
and only people who are not Europeans will ever visit it, which is basically no website ever except the one you have on your own computer. So there are people that are going to be like, you shouldn't do this and blah, blah, blah. It actually has to be done. So if you don't have a WordPress 4.9, 4.6.9 on your computer, you need to go get that installed right now. Jonathan left. <laughs> yeah, man, we just ran them off. He was like, screw this privacy bullshit. I'm leaving right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. That. And, and that's the thing. A lot of people are probably unaware of that, that um, are just have a WordPress site, but they're not, you know, in touch with it. But yeah, that's, that's most hosting companies are just going to update that, like auto update that, that is important. I have seen like some people on the, on the web and even some people in the WordPress community, they're like, well, I'm not going to do business with Europe anymore because blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, that's natural selection. (laughs) Bye-bye. Yeah. I love, what is it? I love that clout. Like the, the, you know, the thing that ranked people's popularity based on right. social media. Oh, yeah, that went they, away. They were like, we're end of lifeing our service yeah. because of GDPR. Because they're like, there's no way we can continue this service no one ever uses anymore once we basically lose out on the entire European market. And there's a bunch of other businesses that are like, we're no longer going to do business in Europe. And you go, okay, unsubscribe to you because you don't care about my privacy. But the, the only point I want to make today is if you have a WordPress site, you need to make sure it's updated to have this new GDPR uh, support because if you don't, people who use your site can come after you. And the GDPR uh, fines are astronomically high, even for a WordPress site. So this is not to be trifled with. There's a reason why this update is being shipped and it needs to be installed before May 25th or you might get screwed. Right. Thank you for that. So we're going to round it up, folks. Um, first of all, Morton, how can people find out more about you? I'm on the internet. My name is Morten. You can find me at M-O-R-1-0, Morten, because that's my name. You can also find me on LinkedIn Learning and on LinkedIn.com and on other places under the name Morten, because that's my name. That's great. And John, how can people find out more about you? You can find out more about me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. Be sure to check out my YouTube channel. I'm posting at least once a week, sometimes more. We're hitting it hard for the SEO. And if you have an SEO question, send it into the YouTube channel. We'll answer it. Search Lockdown Designer, John J. Locke. And Jonathan, how did the people get a hold of you? I'll go to the WP Tonic website. We've got some great articles on membership learning management systems this month. We've got some more articles coming up. We've got our turnkey offering. Um, partnered with Lifter NMS and Adam from WP Crafter. Um, it's a great offering. So if that's interesting to help you get started on your membership journey, um, that could be of interest to you and we'll be back next week where we're going to have another great panel discussion I've really enjoyed this week's it's been great we'll oh this you... one was good this is a good episode <laughs> right we'll see you next week folks bye thanks for listening to WP Tonic the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week